We all have moments where we get discouraged or frustrated, and having someone validate these feelings and offer strategies for moving through these feelings can help us move back into a positive light. So what actions do you take when these feelings are coming from one of your students or your own child in regards to math? What strategies do you have to help children know that their feelings are validated and also that they are capable? Today's episode supports us in strengthening these skill sets as we learn alongside an author who is intertwining math, literacy, and growth mindset to build positive math identities and kids' math talk. Welcome to the Kids' Math Talk podcast, where in each episode, we give parents and educators practical tips and insights that will deepen mathematical understanding while also encouraging the conversation about math to remain active and positive. I'm your host, Desiree Harrison, elementary math coach and Kids Math Talk founder. Today's guest is Alice Aspinall, and we have been connecting through Instagram, which is a little bit of shift for, for me, usually the guests that are on the Kids Math Talk, I connect with on Twitter, but we're more like visual based in the Instagram world. But it's nice to finally have a chance to sit down and chat with you a little bit. It's so nice to meet you, Desiree. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited about this because, you know, we have a passion, we both have a passion for mathematics and you are connecting mathematics with literacy in a way that isn't always expected. And It's something that I just feel like more people need to know about the books and about your mission and everything that you're doing. And you have a variety of books, but the one that I believe your your first, your inaugural book was the Everyone Can Learn Math, which is now available in English and Spanish. And it's just a such a well-written and beautiful story about a little girl and feeling some very real emotions. And I was just wondering if you could tell the listeners a little bit about this book and also about the inspiration behind it and just a little bit about yourself too and the journey that you've been on. Yes, thank you. The the first book I wrote uh, was a fictional book called Everyone Can Learn Math. And I, I'm really um, proud of it because I think it's really opened up a lot of conversations between grownups and children and a- around their feelings toward math. So the book is a a fictional story about a young girl named Amy who really thinks that she's just not a math person. It's not for her. And she gives up quite easily and gets frustrated um, despite her mother's uh, attempts to help her to get through those strong emotions. And she she kind of goes about her day, um, school, dance class, playground with friends and teachers who uh, teach her or inspire her to give that math another try because math is like other things. We're not born with a certain ability to do or not do math, but rather something we have to practice and work at a little bit to improve. And so by the end of the story, she decides that she's going to have another try at it and try a different strategy. And she is successful. And, you know, it's a feel good story for young children and for adults. 
parents who are listening and educators who are listening, if you haven't picked up this book, you really need to because like I was saying, those real emotions, it's something that helps everyone understand that everyone isn't just automatically the best at anything, right? And and the mother doesn't try to hide her frustration in the book. And it's something that helps us know that what we're feeling and thinking about math is real. Right. That math anxiety that a lot of people feel is a real emotion. It, it It's not something that people are making up. That That is anxiety. And there are strategies to try to work through that anxiety. But it's important for children to know that they're not alone in having those feelings and that it doesn't have to be that way. That with a little practice, we can get a little bit better. You know, we're not saying that everybody is going to be, you know, getting perfect on all of their math work. That's not the goal. But to improve is a type of success. And that's what what I hope for, for the readers of the story. That's such an important message to have. And this character is an elementary student. And I found that interesting because you're actually a secondary math teacher. So I'm wondering how you made the decision of the age of the child and that subject. Yes. So I am a a secondary math teacher and I have been for quite a while. And I I love, I love teaching high school mathematics. I teach all levels. And this story is a little bit different for me. You're right in in a different realm. And even the problem, the math problem in the book is an elementary math problem. But I started off my career when I was in university in the elementary schools and uh, working with grades three to six. And so I have a lot of experience in that elementary world as well, but it really came from friends of mine. So a lot of friends, coworkers who know that I advocate for this idea of growth mindset in mathematics, they would come to me and they would say, so many of them would say like, I was not good at math. I failed math. My parents didn't care if I failed math. They told me the same, the same thing. They failed math. And it was like the scapegoat. It was okay if I did badly in math. I don't want that for my kids. I want my kids to to do well and feel good about math. So what can I do for them? And, you know, I I started thinking about literature because I really, in our house, we like books. We read a lot of books. We buy books. And, you know, every milestone that exists for a child, there's some kind of book out there to help them through that milestone, right? Like you're going to be a big sister or um, potty training or whatever, right? There's always like some book to help your child through it. And I looked for a book to address this problem for young children, for my, for my friends' kids. And I could not find one at the time that addressed the growth mindset in mathematics for children. I, there are a lot of growth mindset books out there, but none of them di- directly related to math. Of course, at the time, this it was a few years ago now. And so that's where the idea came from. And I do have a, an, an English um, background. And so, you know, I, I got to work and I created this, this book to serve that purpose. And it's funny because I have had like teenagers say to me, I read that book and that's me. You wrote it about me. I'm sure you're talking about me. And I'm like, no, I'm not talking about you, but maybe it could be right. So many people see themselves in that. So, you know, there was a need for it. And, and I'm glad that I did. Now there are other uh, good ones as well out there. 
Yeah, I'm very glad that you decided to take action. And what you were saying reminds me of a quote from um, Cicely Tyson's autobiography, actually. She's not talking about math in that autobiography, but she is talking about how when you don't talk to children about things, how like detrimental that can be. And she says that by what we think we are doing is protecting them. So if parents are thinking that they're protecting their child and not really talking about math and saying like, oh, you know, it's okay, don't worry about it. I wasn't a math person either. Then in essence, what she related it to was that by not talking about it, we're actually setting them up for heartache later because they're going to find out. And then if we're not having those open conversations and really talking about our feelings, then when something hard comes at them, it could potentially like really harm them. So that's an excellent point. I I totally think it's valid for parents to say to their children that they struggled with math. I, I think that's fine. But I think putting a spin on it might encourage your children to to see it differently, right? Like I I really struggled with this, but maybe you can help me learn it now. Maybe we can learn it together. Or I really wish I had uh, worked harder at it at the time or gone back to it later and not given up right? Because we don't want that same fate for our children. I don't think it's a good feeling when we feel like we can't accomplish something. So you've talked some about how I'm assuming you envision parents talking and using this book with their children. How do you envision teachers using this book in their classrooms? I have heard from a lot of educators using the book in in classrooms as a read aloud, as an introduction to growth mindset um, ideas, not just in math. And I've heard a lot of um, educators also using the book in their their classes cross-curricular, not just in math, but just to bring that idea of trying something again and not giving up to students. I I even hear that some are using it on the first day of school, which I think is really awesome too. So there are a lot of conversations that can be brought in using the book and they don't have to be just around math. Math is the obvious because that's the the target in the book. And there is a a math problem at the beginning too, which I know people are using as an introductory activity with the book, you know, like uh, present the problem and try to solve that problem before they get to the end of the story and get the answer at the end, um, which I think is really nice too. But it, it's nice to hear that a lot of people are using it cross-curricular. I've even heard of phys ed classrooms using it as well. Yeah, because the perseverance is threaded throughout the book. And I can definitely see that for any subject area. And there are some traditional books that you think of when when you think of a a teacher reading on the first day of school. I never thought about this as a first day activity, but I love that idea. And yeah, I do too. And I think, you know, starting with math at the forefront, what a great I, I way to show your students that math is so important in in school, right? And, and going to be an important part of their learning too. So I, I think it's great to start off with math on the first day. Uh, so thinking about kids reading this book too, if there's just one central like phrase that you hope that they internalize when they finish reading this book, what would that be? Oh, right at the end, the character Amy's mom says, you can learn math after all. And the the illustration of the main character, Amy, at that point is like hands up in the air, celebrating giant smile. And, you know, I always say, if we can make all children feel that good about math, then we've done a good job, right? Like that joyous feeling. That's what we want. 
confidence. Confidence and I'm capable. I see that too, like with the with the cheering. Yes. And so we've talked a lot about this Everyone Can Learn Math book, but this isn't all. You are an author of several books in particular to the subject of math. So can you tell us a little bit about your other offerings? Yes. So I have a nonfiction series of six books called Look for the Math Around You. And each one of the six books covers a topic in math, like arrays, geometry, fractions, estimation. And each book is a collection of 22 photos. Photos I just took myself, nothing like I'm not a photographer by any means. Just random photos in everyday life that I've come across with prompts and questions to start math conversations around those photos. And sometimes the questions have correct answers and sometimes they don't. And it's just meant to get you and your children thinking about math, seeing math everywhere and not just in a typical school math problem, but that math exists all around us. And each book offers a different um, topic. And so you could use the books in a classroom to introduce a topic and create a math talk around a certain photo or at home with your children at bedtime or during story time to just talk about math at any time that you want. So the the inspiration for those books was from what I post on my social media, which um, I do very often. I post a photo that I found with prompts. And so this is just a concrete um, collection of some of those photos that I've posted on my social media. And I've seen a few of these pictures and I know you just said you weren't or you're not a photographer, but I would disagree with that because those pictures are extremely clear and extremely engaging. And it's just that you've picked uh, situations and scenes that kids can immediately grab onto and find interest in. And that what you were saying about um, having one of those prompts at bedtime, that's an amazing idea because that's, you know, it, it is reading. I think usually when we're talking about a bedtime story, it's like a once upon a time something mm-hmm. happened, but this is just as valid. And then teachers are always looking for additional activities to pull in. Like this could be um, an energizer and pull one page for and have energizers for the entire week and have adding it to the classroom library and just having kids wonder and discover. And they're seeing those photographs in your book. And then when they go out and they're on their next walk, the world just opens up a little bit more to them. Yes, I think that's the hope that they they start to see that math really is everywhere around them and doesn't just have to be in a classroom and it doesn't just have to be on a handout, but it really truly is everywhere and they can start to see those moments for themselves. I've had a lot of people contact me that they've created their own collection of look for the math around you photos. And I think that's great. And there are so many other versions with different kinds of photos and different kinds of prompts out there that work really well for, for something similar like bedtime math or the math before bed series. There are a lot of people out there working for the same cause, right? And and I think everyone's doing a really good job. So we just want all of these resources because they're so helpful to parents and to um, educators and to children. Yeah, the more we can work together, the better it's going to be for kids. I totally agree. Loving this podcast? Great. Subscribe so you know when new episodes are released and leave us a review on Apple 
so that others can find these episodes. We are stronger together. In terms of how I became a teacher, I I always wanted to to be a teacher since I can remember, uh, but I didn't know I was going to be a math teacher until I was in high school. And I, I had a math teacher in a very small high school who was quite encouraging with my math abilities. And um, it was a very tight knit classroom and he really, you know, made it enjoyable for us. And so I think that's what started my real, my strong desire um, to learn math. And then when I went to university, I took a concurrent uh, math and education program. So it's like that education program straight out of high school combined with your math degree. So I was in the education world from a very young age and I I worked, I've been teaching from kindergarten up to college level for, you know, since, since I got out of high school. So it was something I always was passionate about, but this, this um, passion towards like growth mindset and math really started in teaching high school students coming in in grade nine who work are convinced still are convinced that they cannot do math for whatever reason. And sometimes it's because um, and I've heard all the reasons. Sometimes it's because they're a girl. Sometimes it's because they English was not their first language. Sometimes it's because their parents are not educated. Like there are a lot of reasons students give as to why they can't do math. And none of them are, are true. Like none of them actually are the reason why they, they think like the reason why they can't do math. They can do math. They just don't think that they can. And that's a really big barrier to try to overcome in grade nine when they're 14 and 15 years old, because this has started far younger than that age, much, much younger. At some point, they've convinced themselves that they will not ever do math properly. And it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing for me. And so my my research in um, growth mindset, and um, I've done a, a whole lot of research in the thinking classroom to, to try to bring math to life for these kids and change that traditional math classroom that they have experienced their whole lives and has convinced them that they are not capable of learning math. And so it all started, it started there. And then I had my own children and I, I certainly like want to them to grow up in a world of math being exciting and happy and joyful. Um, So all those things combined, right? My, my teaching career and my being a parent combined together into this thing I've created now, this passion I have for spreading math love to kids. And sometimes it's not just kids. Sometimes it's parents who message me and say, this really inspired me, or this has changed how I look at math problems. Or I have had um, fellow teachers say they're relearning high school math through my YouTube channel now because they they didn't get it in high school, but now they think they can get it. And they're and they are, they are getting it. Of course they can get it. Sometimes you just need to go back to it. Even if it's years later, you go back to it and you can relearn something. I was just saying that to a fourth grade student who was, we were in a a virtual setting and she was so concerned about not having the answer yet. And she was, she actually said, oh no, I focused on the wrong thing. I was focusing on the visual instead of the answer. And so it's like, no, you can take your time and really try to understand. And that might be five minutes for one person. It might be like 50 minutes for another person. Or sometimes a few years later, it just finally clicks because you can connect it to another experience. But any chance we have to help kids realize that it's not about answer getting is 
a good lesson. It's so true. And how many times are we trying to solve a problem, not just a math problem, but just a life problem, and we can't get it. And we go back to it a day later or a couple days later, and then it's so clear to us, right? It can be maturity. It can just be clarity. You know, something else is bogging our minds in the moment. And if you suffer from math anxiety, that is the thing that is in your head at the time and you can't get past it. Like imagine how hard it is to get through a problem when all you can think about is I'm so terrible at math. Like it's a big block. It could be the time of day. Mm -hmm. If you're, you know, if you're trying to solve something at nine o'clock at night, then your, your brain is exhausted. You need to step away from it and come back and do. Absolutely. I'm a big proponent now in trying to help others realize that time is not a constant, even though, you know, like in the math and science world, at least like how the training that I had was like for math, time was always your constant. If you're making a graph, like no matter what, it's not your variable, but it is like we have the power to craft our schedules and to manip. we can manipulate time, even though we don't think we can a lot of times. And especially elementary teachers are like, we're really focused in on, okay, from 10 to 11, we have this to do from 11 to 1215. This is lunch and recess and like not a minute sooner, not a minute after, but that, that's not real life. Right. You're right. And it's, it's a problem with the system, of course, right. And, and stresses that, that we're all under as educators, unfortunately. But if we can try to help our students see that it's not always about time and speed and all of that, then maybe those are lessons they're going to take with them into the future. So, you know, at some point class ends and a semester ends or a year ends. And I know that, of course, but hopefully we can teach them to look beyond that and, you know, to, to spread their learning beyond that end, whenever it may be. Very needed. Like it's, I don't know why, why you wouldn't do that, but. I agree. Acknowledgement is really big. And for, for our students, that's, that's necessary. So when they're feeling in that moment of frustration, like I, I can't do this. I, I'm not good at math. I acknowledge that feeling. That's a very valid feeling to have. Now, are we going to try to work through it, right? Steps to try to work through it. But it's important to acknowledge that those are real feelings that they're having, right? And I will never, I I never want to underplay someone's feelings, right? They're, they're very valid for sure. But um, in, in like, in the end, we want to work towards getting, getting through those strong feelings, right? But you're right. The, the, all of the toxic positivity stuff now, it's all like everybody's viewpoints on that are valid. There's a time and a place always, but it, sometimes we just really need to feel bad and get those, that anger out and then, and then deal with it afterwards. Right. Yeah. And I also think when kids are doing that and they're telling you I'm frustrated, I don't under or pass that you can take once a kid says, I can't do this, or they're showing their frustration. And we're trying to help them take the path to continue towards deepening their understanding versus trying to just like to say, okay, here, just do this and like make it easier for you and like go to the procedure 
just like the straight up procedure, take the math out of it. So you're no longer frustrated. Because I feel like that's the one path that you can take, which doesn't help anyone become stronger in their skills. Because I I view it as now like if you just see that in a kid, and then you say here, just do this and show them the procedure, then you're actually ignoring their feelings instead of validating them as a person. And when somebody is frustrated, and they're expressing that frustration, yes, they wanted to stop, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't want to come back to whatever is making them frustrated and right and kind of like you still want to challenge them right Right. you don't want to take away the challenge right because that also like making something easy for someone is kind of like saying okay you can't do anything harder that's not what we want to do we want it to be challenging for them some kind of balance you're trying to find right you want to be challenging you don't want to get super frustrated but you don't want them to just give in and, and just do the easy stuff just because they're frustrated. Right. Like, yeah, they, there is such a thing as being too frustrated where like you're just, you're going to completely shut down, but that frustration could be there, that productive struggle that right. people yeah. talk about and that's going to lead to growth. And we need to, we need to encourage that instead of just like stopping it at the first sign of somebody having a little bit of trouble. People have kids struggle through that because they find it valid. Like they see the value in learning how to tie your shoe on your own. This conversation reminds me of one that I had in episode 16 with Peter Lilliedahl and his work with building thinking classrooms. And he talks about this idea of flow and this balance of not being too frustrated, but also not having a task that's too easy. So it's this balance idea that we have been speaking to and how delicate this is. And you always have to be adjusting what you're doing and reflecting on what you're doing so that you as the educator are ensuring this flow for your students. I'll link the Building Thinking Classrooms episode in the show notes for you. Now let's get back to Alice. That struggle uh, is what we like so much about puzzles and games, I think. Like I would argue like what makes a good puzzle, it's a little bit challenging. Like that's what we like about it. So we always always say we have to try to start viewing math as more of a puzzle to solve, not just like a procedural thing, because then maybe we'd be a little bit more open-minded to that challenge that comes with it. So you have... Everyone can learn math. And then you have your nonfiction book series. And then I saw through Instagram that you have another book. So can you tell us about that? I do have a new book called Let's Explore Math. And it is a journey in four parts, as it's subtitled. It's the same same characters as everyone can learn math. And it is a fictional story. But there are four short stories within the book where Amy and her friends explore um, different math problems that exist within in multiplication, division, fractions, and money. And so it's like, they're like mini stories all within one book and they're kind of fun. And Amy's up to her usual doubtful um, antics um, and her friends are very supportive and helpful. And they also incorporate brain breaks, different kinds of brain breaks to help ease that stress that she's feeling. And then ultimately they they solve their problems that come up in their playtime. It's a fun fun one. And it has a lot more math in it than the first book, quite a lot more math and also some math visuals like hand, hand handwritten math visuals. 
as well as illustrations. So it's a little different. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. And those concepts of fractions and the money are, are they're topics that need to continue to be talked about. Yes, of course. Yeah. And it, it's kind of fun how uh, the concepts come up through their, their play. So again, bringing in that math is constantly around us and they kind of have to think through some math problems in order to continue with their playtime. So I kind of like that idea too. So some similarities to the first one, but but definitely some differences. And it's it's a, a longer, um, more in-depth kind of book. And I'm really excited about it. It's been a, a long time in the works and uh, we're excited. So tell us where we can find all of your books and um, if we want to purchase them and learn more about them. So you can find Everyone Can Learn Math on Amazon, any Amazon, and also Barnes & Noble if you're in Canada, then Indigo Chapters. And um, the Look for the Math Around You series, are they're all available on Amazon. All right. If you're local, if you're local to me, then they're they're also in some local bookstores as well. But online, you can you can find them um, on a lot of uh, online bookstores. Okay, looking forward to it. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us about your books and about your work. It's so needed, and I'm glad that you're here with us in support of growth mindset and that and just helping everyone understand that they are mathematicians. Thank you, Desiree. I'm so happy to be here. You know, hopefully we can collaborate on something in the future. Yeah, I'd love that, Desiree. I love your podcast and what you're doing. You know, like I said, it's all part of this whole message that so many people are working hard on getting out there. And I think I think things are improving and I think there are more and more people on board with with our message, you know, and I think elementary teachers are doing such a good job. They're, they're really, they're really trying. I see my own kids teachers and I hear other people were like the other day, someone told me that the, their daughter's teacher starts every math class with chance. I am a math person. I can do math. I love math. And I was like, this is such cool stuff. And like stuff that didn't exist when, when I was a, a child, you know? So I think you know, it's slowly getting out there, which is good. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to keep the Kids Math Talk conversation going. You can always tweet me with questions or comments using the handle at Kids Math Talk. You can also head to my website, kidsmathtalk.com slash podcast for previous episodes of this podcast. And join us next week for another episode of the Kids Math Talk podcast.